This is All Things Considered from NPR News. I'm Robert Siegel. Refugees fleeing civil war in the West African nation of Liberia flooded the capital, Monrovia, today. Rebel fighters are pressing in, taking control of refugee camps around the city. The country's warlord-turned-president, Charles Taylor, claims he quashed a coup attempt yesterday. And he faces another challenge from outside the country. This week, a United Nations-backed war crimes court indicted Charles Taylor for atrocities committed during the Civil War in neighboring Sierra Leone. Prosecutors say Taylor was a central figure in a global criminal network that controlled rebels in Sierra Leone, rebels that committed rape and murder, enslaved people, and forced children into combat. War crimes investigations are highly secretive, but American Radio Works journalists Deborah George and Michael Montgomery were allowed to follow investigators of the special court in Sierra Leone as they prepared indictments, and they produced this exclusive report. On a hillside at the outskirts of Sierra Leone's capital, Freetown, American investigator Corinne Dufka is picking her way through the rocks and rubble of a cluster of wooden houses. She's searching for the scene of a war crime. We work with, with something they call in the special courts. Several families follow Dufka past blackened patches of dirt, the remains of homes that were burned. Dufka is trying to find a place called the Black Tank, where she's heard rebels chopped off the limbs of men, women, and children during Sierra Leone's 10-year civil war. Uh, you know, this is kind of the way that we do preliminary investigations, just kind of walking around and speaking with people and getting a sense of what happened. You know, you can... Sierra Leone's rebels called themselves the Revolutionary United Front, or RUF. They launched an uprising in 1991 nominally aimed at ending poverty and government corruption. The conflict that followed killed tens of thousands of people, but was largely ignored by the United States. Following a peace treaty, the special court was established last year with United States backing. International investigators like Dufka are now working together with Sierra Leoneans, combing the country for evidence that will show the crimes were systematic. We believe there were particular squads or or groups that had different names that went around perpetrating certain atrocities, like you had the burn house uh, unit and the cut hand unit. The, the victims will say this. They'll say, you know, we heard them saying we're from the cut hand squad. And, and I think what that suggests is that um, the violence was organized, was premeditated, that it wasn't random. Since the rebels rarely issued written orders, witness testimony is crucial. In front of one home, Dufka finds a young girl who clearly witnessed something terrible. Hello, young lady. Hi, everybody. What's in your name? How much do you get? Six. You know, six years old? Hey, you're tall for six years. The little girl's arm ends at a stump just below her elbow. Dufka asks whether anyone else saw the girl's maiming. After much conversation, it turns out the only other witness was the child's uncle, and he's dead. Dufka takes down the girl's story, but without the uncle, it will be of little help to prosecutors. Many of the crimes Dufka is investigating involve children. They were victims and perpetrators. Rebels abducted thousands of kids. They were forced to work and to fight. Girls were used as sex slaves. Even rebel commanders were often little older than teenagers. But the court is not prosecuting children. Its mandate is to try a small number of adult suspects who bear the greatest responsibility. Prosecutors say that includes politicians and businessmen who feed on war. David Crane, a veteran Pentagon lawyer, is the court's chief prosecutor, appointed by the United Nations. It's not just about the commanders, uh, these boy commanders who call themselves brigadier and go off and do these horrific crimes, but it's also about the politicians. 
It's also about those who financed this tragedy. You know, you have to understand that uh, this war started not for ethnic reasons or religious reasons or social reasons or political reasons. They did it for the control of a commodity. And that commodity was diamonds, which Sierra Leone has plenty of. Many of the world's finest quality diamonds are harvested from its alluvial plains. Here in the eastern Kono district, 30 miles from the Liberian border, tribal chiefs were once the most proud and prosperous in the country. Now it's a place where people wrestle with the shame of their recent enslavement by the rebels. In the village of Tumboru, a group of men stand at the edge of one of the scores of water-filled mining pits scattered nearby. They call this one Savage Pit, named after one of the rebel commanders who held sway here for two and a half years. Tomu Ngekea was made overseer of the hundreds of people from the area forced to dig for diamonds, often watched over by child rebels with guns. The moment you are given a shovel to go down there and walk, you are like any machine continuously operating 24 hours or you get tired, you collapse there and die, it's not their business. And when they drop from exhaustion, the rope's slaves were thrown into the old mining pit. The men say many of them were still alive. Everyone is expecting that uh, the number, the quantity of bones that will be got out of this pit will be quite alarming. Investigators say the rebels used slaves to extract vast quantities of so-called blood diamonds, which were sold for weapons. The business drew an unsavory cast of characters from around the globe. Gunrunners from Eastern Europe, drug dealers, money launderers, and sometimes terrorist groups. Far from a local tribal conflict, the war became what prosecutors call a joint criminal enterprise, where international players aided and abetted the crimes in Sierra Leone for their own profit. Chief Prosecutor David Crane compares his job to going after drug lords. This case is very much like a drug cartel case. In order to prove aiding, abetting, in order to uh, indict for uh, individual criminal responsibility, uh, you have to turn the inner circle so that they can, in fact, testify against the big fish. Okay, we're, uh, we're leaving the... Uh, and prosecutors are doing just that. In a windowless white steel container outside the prosecution's office in Freetown, a witness from the rebels' inner circle is being debriefed by two investigators. Battle group commander. They asked the witness about a suspect who allegedly brokered international business deals for the top rebel leader, Fode Sanko. The witness's voice has been electronically altered to protect his identity. He said before he was um, coming to report to Fode Sanko on what he had done. Mm -hmm. So what did he do for the RUF? What was his role? Sometimes he come in with drugs, sometimes he come in with physical cash. High-level witnesses like this one are important to prosecutors, but it's not the only kind of evidence at their disposal. Like many conflicts today, Sierra Leone's war was also fought over the airwaves. I'm sorry to tell you that we are in complete control of the city. The armed forces and the Revolutionary United Front are taking over the reins of government. Statements to the media like this radio broadcast and even signatures on ceasefire agreements provide something prosecutors call open source evidence. It may not prove a crime was committed, but it helps prosecutors show who was in charge. We found the man who made that broadcast during the rebel invasion of Freetown, and he agreed to speak with us at a beachside cafe. I'm Jibril Masakoy. I have been the spokesman of the RUF uh, during the war until the time of disarmament. Jibril Masakoy was the voice of the RUF High Command and a personal assistant to rebel chief Fode Sanko. Despite years of denials, Masakoy now concedes the prosecution's main allegations, that the rebels had international backing and that many abuses were planned. 
He says commanders even gave operations chilling names like spare no soul and no living thing. It was ordered from the top, yes. The leadership, the field commanders, their brigade commanders, battalion commanders. So that, that directly tells you that when they attack any area, you either run for your life, but if you stay, you are going to be a dead man. In most cases, Fode Sanko was the one giving them instructions. Masakoy says since he was only a spokesman and not involved in military operations, he's not worried about being indicted by the special court. He lives openly in Freetown, and he probably has little to fear because the court is looking for bigger fish. Hey, guys. It's early March, seven months after investigators and prosecutors began work in Sierra Leone. David Crane meets with senior staff. The first indictments are finished. It's extremely exciting to see names, dates, offenses, and we're getting ready to make history, aren't we? The initial indictments targeted seven men, rebel leader Sanko, several of his lieutenants, and a former commander of government militias. Charges included the use of child soldiers, a first in the history of war crimes prosecutions. Sierra Leone police quickly jailed five indictees, including Sanko, but instead of limiting their investigation to the country's military commanders, prosecutors targeted the rebels' support network that stretched across continents. Johan Pelleman, a Belgian arms expert for the UN, was hired to investigate weapons deliveries to the rebels from Eastern Europe. Pelleman traced the deals to one source. The RUF was mostly armed through Liberia. And, Pelleman says, the Liberian president, Charles Taylor, paid for arms with money from raw diamonds given to him by the Sierra Leone rebels. We have been able to document, for instance, diamond traffickers that were clearly based in Liberia, were driven around in government vehicles, and were setting up deals with the RUF under the supervision of Charles Taylor. Charles Taylor is a warlord turned president who rose to power in the 1990s during Liberia's own civil war. Taylor's gaze was often focused on Sierra Leone's diamond riches just across the border. But Johan Pelleman says Charles Taylor wasn't just a broker for the rebels. We have witnesses that were part of the inner circle of Charles Taylor that told us we have created the RUF. Prosecutors say Taylor is at the heart of the criminal network they will prove in court. Consider the chronology laid out in the indictments. A decade before he became president of Liberia, Charles Taylor trained side-by-side side with Sierra Leone rebel leaders in secret camps set up by Muammar Gaddafi in Libya. In these camps is where the RUF was founded. The camps became the, the Harvard and the Yale to a whole generation of African revolutionaries. Stephen Ellis is a senior researcher at the African Studies Center at Leiden, the Netherlands. They got training there, certainly military, but above all, they made friendships there which have continued throughout their subsequent careers. These old-school ties were the core of the conspiracy. Prosecutors won't confirm whether Colonel Gaddafi is also being investigated, but they say by indicting Charles Taylor this week, they have the man who has been the chief warmonger in West Africa. Prosecutors concede that Charles Taylor's indictment will most likely be challenged. Historically, heads of state have had immunity from foreign courts. The United Nations Tribunal in The Hague was able to indict Serbian leader Slobodan Milosevic, but that court has special authority from the UN Security Council. David Crane does not have that same authority, so in going after a state leader, he's breaking new ground in international law. It's a bold move other governments could find troubling. States see this as potentially becoming a, a quagmire in which states are grabbing each other's leaders. Madeline Morris is a professor of international law at Duke University and a senior legal counsel to the prosecutor's office. If it's okay 
to indict, arrest, and potentially convict and incarcerate the head of state or other high official of another country, if one country can do that to another country, um, then we're in a very different arena than we've been in in the past in international relations. Charles Taylor scoffed at the international arrest warrant issued by the special court this week. Prosecutors are considering upping the stakes with a multi-million dollar reward for Taylor's capture. They insist they will get their man. In the meantime, even though Sierra Leone is at peace, much of the region is snarled in conflict. It's a conflict in which Charles Taylor remains at the epicenter. For NPR News and American Radio Works, I'm Michael Montgomery. American Radio Works is the national documentary unit of Minnesota Public Radio. This is All Things Considered from NPR News.